And welcome, hello, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Saren Kaster, and Stefan Hostetter is also in the studio. How you doing? With seconds to spare. Just in time. <laughs> uh, so in reverse order, we're going to get right to it now. I don't have a lot of banter for the beginning of the show because we got so much content. Going to get right to it. So uh, in reverse order, as we like to do, uh, teasing the content on the show, there's a uh, what I consider to be a rather inflammatory uh, article uh, posted uh, about the funding sources of environment groups. Uh, the content uh, is not... Uh, there's a little bit of hair to be splitting here, uh, but essentially Jason Ketty uh, pulling the old Fox News trick of... I don't have any evidence. I'm just asking the question. Mm, everyone's got to ask the questions. Right. So, Jason, Kenny, I'm going to have a few questions for you <laughs> at the end of this uh, segment. We'll get to that later. Another great story. So a little bit of fun with that. It's pretty offensive, but we try and soften that with humor. So we're going to do that <laughs> later. Uh, and then a very interesting article that one of our uh, uh, new contributors uh, sent us uh, about um, uh, some new uh, ways in which... Um, climate change is being modeled uh it looks at uh, some different things essentially the you know we have this idea of all the different models so here's a scenario here's a scenario here's a scenario um and you know they're based on different you know if we decarbonize at this rate if we decarbonize at this rate if we don't do anything um but there's sort of social like what does that actually look like what are the storyline like what what actually happened to make those models so they've essentially mm. reverse engineered that they're called sh shared socioeconomic pathway or uh, pathways or ssps there's a very interesting article about some new work being done on that we'll talk about that again at the end in the middle of the program uh, after stefan's going to go in a minute here uh, we're going to be talking to uh, what was originally supposed to be uh, two guests unfortunately uh, satya uh, had to drop out uh, so we're going to be talking to uh, uh, satya robinson had to drop out so we'll be talking to one of the two pair uh, jonathan love in the middle of the program they're running some events in the gt area uh, gta uh, area based on the work of drawdown um, drawdown outlines the top solutions uh, to uh, solve climate change a very interesting website and book uh, based on the work of paul hawken um, so they are go uh, running workshops based on that work here in toronto so we'll be talking to jonathan love about that in the middle of the program but coming up now stefan may i tease your section as well go for it i like doing the teases so uh stefan is going to now be talking about uh the dow uh, trump nominating dow jones chemical lawyer Peter Wright for the EPA coal ash polluting groundwater in the USA and oil uh, is central to a decision to shrink Bears Ears Monument. Uh, Stefan, I have to admit, I don't know what order you're going to do this in, but I actually don't know anything about Bears Ears until I read the brief for today. Yeah. So uh, please enlighten us, yeah, including so, me. <laughs> uh, so the, the theme of this of this segment um, is, is basically the 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 more insidious ways that the Trump administration is uh, is ruining America, um, and and so or or even well, ruining America arg arguably implies that America was ever great, um, which in some ways uh, I might contest. Anyways, right. um, as so, Canadians, we respectfully disagree. Right. Well, <laughs> as a human, I respectfully disagree. <laughs> uh, but so the. The, the three stories all have this one particular sort of through line, which is that there's this, the, the, there are all the ways you sort of hear, there's the big shiny ways that uh, that sort of that conservative governments and the Trump administration specifically uh, go around to undermine uh, environmental initiatives. And, and you know, the Trump pulling out of the Paris Accord is a great example of that, right? Uh, it's It was a big news story. He did it. Everyone was, uh, you know, conservative groups were like, yay. Everyone else was like, what are you doing? Uh, and then we carried on. And yet there's this other set of, and yet in reality, that decision won't actually really impact anything because it doesn't, even come, in, it doesn't come into effect until the day after the next election. Um, and so, 
and so it's sort of like it's sort of it got all the press, but it, it doesn't actually have the same. It doesn't have over impact. And and these three stories, uh, and especially the sort of uh, the the first two that I'll start with, are are sort of bigger examples of the types of things that that they are doing to sort of dismantle the the process. Can we can we just point out for a minute yeah. why politicians usually do stuff like that? Not all the time, but generally uh, promises are made for funding to kick in like the day after or the month after the election, mm. because the implication is if you want this thing, if you like this thing, you have to vote for us because if you vote for us you get it the day after the election and if you don't you might not get it uh, although so that's not always why but right. that's often why well, in this particular it is not why in this particular case it is because uh, because the people who made the Paris Accord were smart and said it, you had to do four it took you four years to actually remove yourself so they basically made two administrations have to agree to remove yourself uh, right. try to, as a way to try to deal with the sort of limitations oh, on sorry, was that's the day after the next presidential not the day after the midterm no next presidential ah uh, okay sorry yes. well the, what I said still applies just not relevant to this story. yes exactly excuse me <laughs> um, and and so, yeah. And so the, the the first story is is one that is is that Trump uh, has picked a Dow chemical lawyer for for a key role in the EPA, and this is an example of. Uh, both sort of what, uh, what one of the many ways the conservative uh, the Trump administration is um, is is sort of not undermine the EPA, but also an example of how the the mantra of run your country like a business actually completely falls apart whenever you think about it, because. In no in no con no one's company would they ever think to be like you know what we should do we should hire someone who directly has fought against us for the last fifteen years into a key position that is never a thing anyone would do with a company and yet consistently conservatives who decide that they want to run their co the country like a company do this exact thing you know like the head of uh, Duracell is never going to be like you know what we should do. Let's hire the person who's tried to regulate our company as much as possible and get them to run our company. You know, that's that is just not how this works. Like the the the, the, the door only goes one way. You know, the government absorbs people who've been funding them, but never the opposite direction. Um, unless, of course, they're trying to get ins with the government, and that's still really actually just trying to undermine the government. There's just not. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. But let's actually get to the heart of the story. Which is that um, there's a there's a there's a gentleman uh, named Peter C. Wright, uh, and he has been picked to, to serve as EPA's assistant administrator for land and emergency ma management. Uh, and which, to be fair, is something Dow Chemical would know a lot about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so and, and so he used to he's been working as a corporate lawyer for Dow Chemical since 1999, and and so this is one of those questions in which. He's, he's, he's also overseeing this thing called the Superfund Hazardous Waste Cleanup Program, uh, which coordinates money from companies to help clean up spills. And, and so, like, in the, to, 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 to give you a sense of Dow Chemical, Dow Chemical was one of the largest uh, chemical companies. It then absorbed uh, DuPont, uh, merged with DuPont last year, and so now they are the largest chemical maker. Uh, manufacturer, uh, if, you can, if you manufacture chemicals. I'm not sure the exact term there. Um, and so, they are currently responsible for more than a hundred toxic sites currently undergoing or slated for cleanup across the United States. And this is a guy who's defended this company for the last 27 years as a corporate, no, no, that's bad math, 18 years uh, as a corporate lawyer. And, and, and so it certainly begs the question, um, maybe, 
maybe we should be considered maybe we should be concerned about about the fact that the person who's basically the person who's who's been fighting against the government for 18 years is now actually working for them and again there are you could come if you want to give the most good in good faith argument for this you could theoretically position this as you know this person actually understands this the, the space that they're in and they could actually do a very good job that's exactly that's exactly the the reason given for every single one of those appointments ever you know when you right. ask people well why did you fill up the uh, NEB with a whole bunch of former oil people like well who knows it better yeah exactly yeah right. and it's consistently the argument right, right. Um, and and of course asked for asked for uh, asked about conflicts of interest EPA spokeswoman Liz uh, Bowman uh, said that Wright would meet with EPA's ethics committee to discuss the new role mm. great I'm glad that we have an ethics committee to listen to the, the all the conflicts of interest and then ignore them because at this point who in the Trump admi- who thinks the Trump administration gives any cares at all about uh, about conflicts of interest like this the Trump administration is one gigantic conflict of interest I mean like they Gary Cohn just left like went from running Goldman Sachs to being their economic advisor gave a ton of money to, to Goldman Sachs and then left like this is this is basically all we're ever seeing like it's so it's 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 it, while it's great that he'll talk they'll talk to the ethics uh, committee that doesn't really sit as a as a great solution. Just for can me. I can I just give one more example on on that? Uh, it would be like taking Hannibal Lecter and saying you're in charge of the you're the American uh, the American uh, director or czar of prisons because who knows prisons better? Right, exactly. <laughs> like it's like it's this. Why? Why? Like not why? I know why. They're, they're trying to undermine this the, the functioning of the EPA and Scott Pruitt has been doing this in every single way and so it's not it should not be surprised that this is yet another way that they're doing this right. Um, and and so the, the the this is just a pretty simple. Um, uh, the, 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 What's amazing about this is that this is not only the, this is not even the, this is the first uh, attempt to uh, to get someone from Dow Chemical into the EPA. Uh, earlier on in the, in the administration, they tried to they, they tried to, to they tried to get someone named Michael Dorson hired until he withdrew his his own name uh, because senators made it clear that he would not win. And again, this is so this is like a consistent attempt to get someone from Dow Chemical in charge or at least in of, as a member of the person working towards regulating Dow Chemical. And so like it's just it's 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 very hard to to believe uh, that th- what is th- the narrative that is already in my to, to the narrative that they're trying to create. Like I, I, I'm consistently baffled at people who like maybe these people don't exist. Maybe there just isn't a set of people who actually believe that the EPA is attempting to be run effectively by Scott Pruitt. Maybe they're the people who just want to see the EPA destroyed and therefore are happy with what Scott's been doing. And then there's us, and then everyone else just doesn't pay attention. Like I'm, no, I think I, it's it's because forty percent of the forty percent of Americans have been convinced. This is the forty percent I'm referring to that still, despite despite everything, support Trump. Which mm-hmm. again, recent numbers still. You're still at 40%. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you've been watching all the news, but he's still at 40%. Yeah. Um, if that's just the 40% of Americans that have believed, well, EPA it has the word environment in it, or those of them that actually know what the acronym is and, un- and unpacked it, uh, you know, the 28% of those people. Uh, but they just, uh, environment means liberal. Therefore, this is a liberal, like, conspiracy organization. So I, I really do think they do. I think it's very easy for them to believe that that someone who's going to go in there and tear it down is good because this is all, the, the EPA is clearly just a liberal, uh, you know, uh, corruption 
pollution machine. Right. And anything that they do is obviously bad for us because environmentalists are liberals and liberals are 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 bad. Are, ter- are not terrorists. What's the word I want to find? Uh, uh, Terrible. Uh, traitors. traitors. They're traitors. Uh, right? right. So the, clearly. So I think obvi- I think it's very easy for forty percent of Americans to believe that. Oh yeah, yeah. My point is not so much. That I, I believe there's a set of people who just want to see the whole thing torn down, and I believe there are people who see the who see what they're doing as tearing it down. I just wonder if there's anyone in the middle who actually thinks that this is an effective use of the EPA. Like I'm, I don't know if anyone. I don't know if there's the middle set of people who think like this is how the EPA should be run, or if there's there's a set of people who want it torn down on another side. Yeah. But I want to get but onto the always outliers. I yeah. want to get to the Bears Ears story because it is so weird. Um, and, and and specifically, so so Bears Ears Monument is a uh, is in is in Utah, and and Utah has perhaps one of the weirder ways of existing um, as a as a way to fund its schools, and like this is like. Like the, f- the I'll, I'll tease the I'll, te- I'll tease the end of the story and then try to work backwards because it's so confusing to me. One of the notes I was sent to this is that the Trump that is that Trump reduced the monument by much more than was sought by Utah public schools. So, which was literally Utah public schools had a, 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 made a petition to ask Bears Ears, the national monument that is a that is you know that is a um, that is a fund. Uh, or that is not a fund. That is a that is a that is a you know protected set of land. Um, they wanted that reduced to pay for schools. And then I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, why are public schools the thing advocating for reduction of of, of land uh, on national monuments or, or or monuments in this in this way? And the answer is, is is kind of baffling. It's basically that the Department of Interior. So this is uh, Zanke. No, so this is Orrin Hatch. Sorry. He's a Republican of Utah. Said, asked the asked uh, the senior interior official um, to consider shrinking Bears Ear Monument in the southeastern corner of the state, um, because after a long-standing program in Utah, oil and natural gas deposits within the boundaries of the monument could have been used to raise revenue for public schools had the land not been under federal protection. So Utah sells off rights to land as a way to fund its public schools. That's what it does. That's how it funds its public schools, and so they—they they, Utah's this weird state where it has, most of the land ends up actually being somewhat owned by or in some way in the trust of of the, of the Utah government, and they let rent use of this land uh, as a way to pay for its its schools. And so there was a part of the of the, of the Bears Monument that had oil and gas in it, um, and and they had and they were hoping to, but it was protected by the federal government because it was federal land because of the Bears Ears Monument, and and they but they were hoping for some money for schools, and so they made this pitch to the the Secretary of Interior to basically be like, could you reduce protections on this a little bit so we could sell some of this land to fund our schools? Again, why this is the case is still like. Is still baffling to me why Utah is like Utah decided why Utah's way of you know everywhere else in the world does um, you know funds their schools in in a variety of ways but this may be the weirdest scheme of funding public schools I've heard you know forget forget bake sales just go just go walk through Utah and pick a poison land you can you can drill into and get oil that is that is like you know the weirdest bake sale I've ever seen um, but. But so basically, what happened was so the so the Republican senator Orrin Hatch asked for the uh, asked the Department of Interior to 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 reduce uh, the size so they get more oil exp- exploration, and even that again I've, I've already made that that's weird, right? Um, and and so they sort of went back and forth, and there's this whole thing because again, the, the, it's, it is it is a national monument national monument, and they want to protect it, and so. They end up getting to this point where they realize that if they could shrink it, 
uh, they, they then then they get some money, and so they had some reduction, and they ended up reducing it by even more than was asked. Again, just because there was you know because they just wanted to open up for more oil and gas exploration, um, and and it's, and they've been denying that it was about it. Zinke, the director of Interior, is is has been denying that this is actually the reason why they did this. Um, however, uh, they also have internal emails that sort of say that it was. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, the Trump administration said that something was not the case, and then we have emails that say that it was the case. Okay, uh, we've re- we've played this game before, and I think that just the just that sort of, I think what's interesting to me with this one is that it it, it actually sort of shows this odd way of thinking um, about 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 how you should fund public institutions and and how you can cr- how you can build in corporate control. Uh, into like you can bake corporate control into uh, into uh, into a government system by basically saying like we're not going to fund public schools unless you allow us to do whatever we like like on your lands. That's what they've done here, um, and and so you know it's it's let a, like forget the concept of, like the first way is of course let's let's hire all the corporate people into our into our industry, and and here it's let's create a system that fundamentally only works. For as long as we are selling our land to to to, to resource extraction, and and again that that same thing, it's not like Utah is going to go without public schools. They're just going to listen and give like if it's the same way. It's, it's the same way that Alberta is so beholden to to the tax to the not because they don't tax anyone. They're beholden to the, the oil industry because of how much royalties they make. You're, every time you build in a government system, you're beholden to the money that a certain industry is doing. You've just given them an overwhelming amount of power over what you do. And the fact that Utah's public schools can't protest for more money without basically asking for a federal monument size to be reduced is a ridiculous way to set up a system unless your goal is to give control over to the people who are running these corporations. That is the only reason to do it this way. Um, or, it, or alternatively, you're just so scared of your populace that you won't even tax anyone, which is also probably part of it. But like, what is going on here? Come on, America. I can even get to the fact that you've coal ash polluting groundwater across the United States because it's already 20 minutes and I'm already <laughs> confused with you. Um, but just so you know, I, it, we, I'm, I'll try to get to, if we have time, we'll get to the end, I'll get the coal ash. But there's coal ash and we'll post the thing, uh, polluting groundwater all across the United States uh, because of course it is. And <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's, of course, in who who may have done this? Oh, it's, look, on March 1st, Scott Pertz said the EPA should weaken federal regulations on coal ash disposal. And new data released on March 2nd says coal ash is contaminated ground, groundwater with arsenic and radium and other chemicals. Uh, so thanks, Scott Pruitt, for ensuring that, our, that Americans' water has uh, arsenic, radium, and other chemicals. Uh, you're nailing it, EPA. Yeah, making sure that uh, you know groundwater is full of chemicals. Well, but you know, it's with uh, carbon. Remember, carbon dioxide is going to be good for humanity. It's going to make all these plants grow. Plants Maybe it turns out that all this, this plant science, food, man. Right, all the science around arsenic is actually all fake news, and it turns out it's going to make you like super strong. Well, I, well I'm pretty sure radium does that. Let's be right. like, what else does radium do if Obviously. not give you superpowers? Obviously, radium gives you superpowers. That's that's why it's called radium. Damn. So that's why everyone's <laughs> so upset about this because you know the Russians are concerned that the Americans are about to be flooded with superpowers. Right. And uh, you know it's a good. So that's why they're. This is a tease for my story later. That's why they're funding all this <laughs> oh. fake news about Scott Pruitt and the EPA. Oh, that, that, that makes sense. I, we meant. I'm concerned that 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 men and women in black coats and dark sunglasses are about to bust in here because we just blew the lid off this thing. Right. Yeah. No, they're, they're on their way. All right. So if we if we get cut off air, folks, you know what happens. <laughs> uh, with that, we're going to take a risk here and take a music break. Uh, Stephen, what are we going to listen to? 
All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Sarah Kaster, and you're listening possibly live on CIUT here in Toronto. You could be possibly listening in the future live on one of our very appreciated community radio partners uh, or at your convenience. Do I sound biased, Stefan? At your convenience on at the yeah, podcast. At your convenience. Which is really the best place to listen to us. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, we are going to uh, move on now with the rest of our show. We have an interview uh, booked, and I believe we have our guest on the phone. John, are you there? Uh, yes, I am, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is Jonathan uh, Love, and uh, we were uh, hoping to be also boi- joined uh, by Satya Robinson, who is also involved in this program. Unfortunately, she was not able to join us at the last minute, but you'll have to do, John. Oh, uh, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you contacted us after a show a few weeks ago uh, about a, a project, um, and uh, what I understand, I'm going to do my very best to do, uh, uh, my very best to explain it, and then I'll ask you to jump in at the end there and correct anything I got wrong or anything I left oh, out because I'm going to miss something here. Uh, so you folks uh, uh, offer some uh, courses and uh, uh, and some consulting work and stuff. I'll, I'll let you explain better about that uh, in Toronto. But you're also very interested in climate change and trying to do your part. And so a while ago, you got uh, connected with the folks over at Drawdown. Uh, .org, which is uh, a book and a website and a sort of a movement started by uh, Paul Hawken out of California. And Drawdown is uh, essentially the the measured, mapped, and modeled 100, top 100 solutions to avoiding um, uh, runaway climate change and sequestering uh, greenhouse gases and just otherwise, so, quote-unquote, solving climate change. Uh, and since then, there have been a number of folks, in addition to yourself, sort of starting these hubs in other cities to actually get local populace uh, activated on these issues, get them informed of what those issues are, and then in one way or another, trying to actually enact these. And so we've started seeing things like drawdown cities and that sort of thing. So you and Satya are, uh, among others, uh, trying to get that started in Toronto. And we have you coming on today to do, A, a better job of explaining what drawdown is than I just did, and B, to talk about what your Toronto uh, events are. Uh, and of course, acknowledging that we have uh, international, uh, national and international and, and uh, listeners as well. Maybe you could, I could get you to touch on a little bit about some of those other cities. But just to start, John, A, did I miss anything? Did I get anything wrong? And uh, was there anything you'd like to add about who you are and what you're doing? Um, well, you did a great summary. That's uh, that's really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Sat- Satya and I, um, yeah, we have our own consulting business, um, coaching and consulting companies that, uh, you know, mostly uh, companies that are doing something well, we're actually focusing it now on uh, companies that and organizations that have aspirations to contribute to drawdown. Um, so let me let me talk to you a little bit about what drawdown is, and then the, the organizations that we're working with here uh, in Toronto. One is uh, so the first thing is that that term drawdown uh, refers to that point in time when humanity puts pulls more. Uh, carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases back to Earth than we put into the Earth over a year's period of time. You know, as probably your listeners know that every year it goes up and down and up and down, and it's going and it's but it's on a rising trend. During the during a, the year when we reach drawdown, it'll go up and then come down just a little bit more than it goes up, rather than uh, the other way around. Um, and Paul Hawken. Uh, he's, you know, right, one of the uh, smartest people I know, um, and he was smart enough to know that he didn't know whether uh, drawdown was achievable or not, and he kept asking people, um, you know, in the climate movement, and, you know, nobody could really tell him, and nobody could really tell him what to do 
to, to reach that point if it was possible. So he realized that he didn't know how to do that, but he gathered 200 researchers and scientists and fellows from around the world to do the work, to do the math. And as you said, they mapped, measured, and modeled the 100 most promising. They actually started with 300 and narrowed it down to the 100 most promising or, or the 100 that actually, when they scale up, they achieve the most carbon sequestration or the most carbon avoided. So, John, would it, would it be, just sorry to interrupt just quickly, would it be fair to, to summarize that as the, the top 100 bangs for buck? Was that sort of the metric that was being used when we're talking about effectiveness, or are we talking about just the ones with the largest impact uh, cost not considered? Uh, it was, it, they're ranked in the, in the book by the uh, largest impact, and um, the costs were modeled. So uh, they didn't, it isn't bang for buck. Um, the ranking it's actually the mo you know the the total but it's um when they when you figure yes the initial costs of implementing some of these are more than the uh you know the initial cap costs of uh, of business as usual mm-hmm. but over the course of the next thirty years, which is what they modeled um the savings are tremendous trillions of dollars. Um, and, you know, as, so as Paul Hawkins said the other night uh, at a, a talk that I saw him do, um, he said, uh, even if there was no climate scientists around telling us that these were, the, you know, these would avoid climate change, 98 out of the 100 you would do anyway, just because they're good for the earth, they're good for people, they're, you know, they're, they're you know, create social cohesion instead of, uh, you know, disparities of inequality. Um, they're just things you ought to, we ought to do anyway. It reminds me of a, a very uh, famous the cartoon that tends to make the rounds at least once a year uh, on, on Twitter among environmentalists about the guy sticking his hand up at the IPCC conference saying, what if climate change is a hoax and we make a better world for nothing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, the, uh, we, we, we saw that... Um, this information, I mean, he calls it the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming, um, because it's the only one. Um, you know, he could have said uh, the most fun, uh, the, the most pretty, the most ugly. He could have said anything, <laughs> because it's the only one that's ever been done um, so far. <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, but we saw that it changes the conversation completely if you can say, which we now can, that there's grounded science, peer-reviewed material, me- you know, measures and models that come not that they made up, but come from peer-reviewed literature that shows that drawdown is possible and that the scaling up that's necessary to reach it is not exorbitant. And that, you know, by the assumptions made on these solutions in the book, we reach drawdown by 2050. So, it's possible. It's we know what to do, and it's things that are already being done, and you know we're doing them, and all we have to do is scale them up. Mm. Changes the conversation. It goes from you know pessimism to a little bit of hope. <laughs> 
So um, yourself and uh, and myself and, and Satya had a bit of a uh, little uh, pre-call, of course, as we like to do before interviews. And, and uh, Satya, unfortunately, as we said, is not able to join us today. But uh, one of the things that that we mentioned there was that the 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 you know the the tone of the hope is one that is very foreign to Stefan and I on this program. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So and, and you know and we of course do that with good fun. But you know we did an environment show for ten years. It's it's never it's never felt like a good news show. Uh, we'll put it that way. So I mean there's and and the reason I mentioned that is I mean aside from uh, an attempted humor was was also the fact that I mean that's the reality for a lot of folks who are already activated on the environment is 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 there there's sort of two struggles and one of them is the struggle to you know inform people and change policy, the sort of explicit goal uh, of being an active environmentalist, quote unquote, whether or not you define yourself that way. Uh, and the other one is the struggle against one's own motivation to keep hope alive, because it's one of those things where the more you know about it, the more terrifying it is. And I and, and I know that that's something that you and Satya are particularly interested in communicating. That's, that is very, very core to what it is that you're trying to do. So um, whether or not you can, you can cheer me up on air or not, can you just speak to that, please, a little bit more? Uh, sure. Um, you know, I... You know, I wouldn't try to talk anybody into, you know, the idea that, hey, it's not a problem. Don't don't worry about it. We got this. Um, because I don't think that's realistic. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the odds aren't good. Even, you know, even if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at each of these solutions and, uh, you know, in the book, there's like a two-page write-up on each one. Um, y- you can see that there's obstacles that have to be overcome for scaling them up. Um, you know, so, okay, but is it, but it does, because it's possible, it doesn't mean that it's game over. It means that we get to say, oh, the odds are long. Okay, good, let's take them. Let's mm-hmm. take those odds and make it game on. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that brings the kind of, of grounded hope not a you know sort of pie in the sky uh fairyland kind of hope like okay we're on the case we're doing it and it can be done uh, uh john uh, my uh, co-host stefan actually wants to jump in and ask you a question yeah uh hi john hi <laughs> uh so to to carry on that sort of I'm, I'm i'm intrigued by the granularity of this uh especially of of taking drawdown into a city or more localized perspective uh because of course drawdown is sort of the is as a as a internet as an international sort of global plan it's it's sort of rankings and understanding is 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 sort of set to each location um you know in that in that sort of for say ontario's actions might be very like the if you looked at sort of drawdowns one to 100 rankings they might be different for each space you're in depending on say how green the energy is or how locally the people eat normally and so i'm curious if there's an if this sort of bringing it to a local uh, local in- intention is in, include sort of a, a reimagining of, of of what actions should be taken on the ground in each local's position. Is that sort of a because to sort of c- carry on the sort of like we have a plan, let's do it. You know, if Ontario Ontarians just went out and decided to do offshore wind, which I know is like really high up there, and just you know made our made made the Lake Ontario into wind energy, it wouldn't have as big of an impact, say, as actually Ontarians producing meat consumption, given how much given how green our our, our um, energy grid already is. Uh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. There's no question about that, Stefan. The, um, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things that uh, the, the folks at drawdown.org uh, are doing next, which is uh, uh, partnering, especially with academic institutions on a local basis, um, to 
model the, the solutions regionally. Um, what we're doing um, in partnership with Unify Toronto and Sustainable TO and some other groups uh, is we're gathering the people in the GTA who know what's already being done, who have the information about which of these, these solutions are going to be the, the most effective here. And even in the GTA, you know, it's really different what, uh, you know, a company in a, a, or a municipality right inside the, you know, the G GTA proper can do versus what they can do in Oxford County, which grows, you know, some large percentage of the food that's eaten here. Right. Um, so it really, really, really comes down to uh, where are you? You know, what's your, lo you know, the local circumstances? And then what are you passionate about? You know, we don't know what every person should do. It's a matter of, you know, there's so many different things here that e anything that you take on from the drawdown solutions is going to make a difference. And you, can, and you know that it's contributing to what's happening locally, and that's contributing to what's happening globally. I think we're going to get to the point fairly quickly where we're, where we're actually able to quantify that to a certain extent on a lot of these solutions, and that we can, so we can actually measure our progress toward drawdown. Uh, John, unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun. We've we literally only got about two, three minutes here. So I, I want to okay. try and ask you to cram in two kind of shotgun uh, uh, fast answers to two more questions. And then I want to make sure I give you time to let people know how they can get involved and, and learn more about the what the workshops you're running. Uh, so uh, in uh, point former, as, as briefly as you can, uh, my two shotgun questions are, one, of course, it's, it's by no means the only roadblock, but a lot of the roadblocks here have to do with public policy. And uh, the immediate outreach here is to individuals. So to what degree, if any, did you want to comment on uh, how does turning these citizens attending workshops into political action uh, is that explicitly dealt with in your workshops is that something you sort of like leave for people to decide on their own how is that tied in and then just really quickly I'll let you answer both uh, shotgun is if people aren't in, in Toronto are there uh, other locations around the world or in Canada or is there another way where if people want to start this in their city they can they can lock up for that I'll, I'll let you answer those two any way you like and then we'll give you a chance to uh, let people know where to find more Okay, uh, you know, the, the first one, uh, I, I'll answer the second one first, okay. um, which is that uh, around the world there are uh, groups, cities, organizations uh, taking this on, and it's kind of happening uh, so fast that nobody can really keep track. So um, I would say the, the best way to, <laughs> to do that, there are two organizations that are working on this really uh, globally. One is Drawdown.org itself, and the other is an organization called the Pachamama Alliance, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A, -A -A, Pachamama. Um, and so they've created uh, workshops that we're using, which are the introduction, which is a two-hour event, and a course, which is three set, uh, four sessions of, of three hours each, which goes much, much deeper. Um, on then to... I'm just going to comment. Paul Hawkins just got back from Australia, where uh, you know he did 23 uh, presentations in 30 days, and he came back and said there are 22 companies in Australia that want to declare themselves drawdown companies, mm. and we don't, you know, nobody even knows what that means yet. <laughs> just like I was going to ask, like, actually, <laughs> just like we we would like Toronto to become a drawdown city. But we, you know, and 
We know it has to mesh with the climate uh, action plan that already exists um, and all of the work that people are already doing. And so what does that mean? Well, we're going to create that as we go. And uh, the we that I'm talking about is uh, Unify Toronto, um, which is unifiedtoronto.org. And uh, the other place where people can look for us is JLS Global. That's the consulting company, but we've got a whole um, section on drawdown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the question that you, the first question that you started with there about policy. So drawdown itself is a mapping, measuring, and modeling of the solutions. You know the the things that people can actually do. Um, you know, eat uh, uh, waste less food. Eat you know eat less meat. Uh, uh, and the and the things that governments can actually do, um, you know, uh, put in bike infrastructure, uh, so more trips are taken by bicycle than by uh, car. Um, but it doesn't address policy, and it very explicitly doesn't address policy. That's for us as citizens to figure out how to do. Um, and in the two-hour introduction. We don't specifically address that in the uh, in the course in the you know four sessions of three hours. We really do, and we believe that the biggest impact is going to happen when people take on actions that are at what we call level three of impact. Level level one being individual, level two being friends and family, uh, and level three being local institutions. Um, and level four being, uh, you know, the high-level policy of, of uh, carbon taxes and things like that. Mm-hmm. But level three is kind of like the biggest institution where you as a person are known or could be known. You know, can you get a, a meeting with the mayor of your town? Um, can you talk to the CEO of your company? Um, and it's at that level that we encourage people to, to start taking action. And a lot of that's already happening in the GTA, and uh, you know we're cataloging uh, some of that and encouraging people to to take on more. All right, so we'll have to leave there, John. But uh, the one thing we missed is uh, I'm going to have all the links to the websites uh, on the show post, so people can check that at GreenMajority.ca. When does it? When does the first uh, course start, so people know how quickly they have to get that organized on that? Uh, the first course <laughs> actually starts on Monday, uh-huh. Monday evening, the 12th. The next two-hour introduction is on uh, March 22nd. Okay. And they're both in the – both of them are in the downtown area of Toronto. All right. So if you're near or can get to downtown Toronto, you've got to the 22nd, I think, more realistically uh, to get yes. organized. And then people can look for links uh, on the website. Thank you so much for your time, Jonathan Love. All right. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Take care. So we're going to go now to uh, back to the tech booth. We're going to have one more music break. And then I've got a couple of uh, stories to be a bit salty about here. Well, actually, no. One of them is a good story. The other one, I'm going to be a bit salty. So a bit of a mixed bag there for the final section. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. We'll be right back. All right. Oh, man, I love Tribe Called Red. Good job, everyone. Well played. Toronto radio host thinks you're doing a good job uh so you're welcome you're listening to the green majority we're in the final section now um and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about jason kenny well uh, not just jason kenny um but uh this is uh, an uh, an old story that that likes to make its rounds once in a while uh every time any uh oil 
supporting politician or oil companies feeling the heat. They love to throw this one up. They dig it up out of the grave, which is to accuse corrupt foreign, or foreign money of coming in. Of course, this is particularly tractionable uh, because of the obvious, <laughs> obvious alleged, quote unquote. Can, am I allowed to scare quote the word alleged? I think, I think so. Why not? Okay. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Two negatives make it positive. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, alleged, uh, 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 imminently about to be proven, I'm sure, uh, collusion between uh, Donald Trump and the Russian government. Uh, but, you know, influence by Russia is very hot these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and so it makes a very easy question. Now, uh, there's a few things I want to put out here. I'm going to start with with the least, the, the thing you're going to be most surprised I'm going to start with. Is it possible that Russia has funneled money to environment groups? Entirely possible. Yeah, probably. Somehow. Um, is that where these groups uh, came from? Is it affected what they advocate for in any way? Not a chance. <laughs> yeah. uh, is uh, there also uh, very shady interests who would love very much for these environment groups to be smeared, who have an awful lot of money to lose, significantly more than any amount that any anyone has ever given an environment group? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, at, at best, this is like really gross um, name calling. Um, and it, it, I love how the article starts. So we're going here from a CBC article uh, called Why Kinder Morgan and Russian Interference in Elections is More Closely Related Than You Think, which is, in case you missed it, a definite claim. That's a claim. They are related. They are more closely related than you think. Uh, and yet the beginning of the article here, I'm just going to read from it. Jason Kenney isn't saying the Russian government is influencing conversation over the Kinder Morgan pipeline by dire- indirectly funding environment groups opposed to it. He's just asking the question. <laughs> it's literally the first two lines of the article. Right. So congratulations, CBC. You've now become Fox News, mm-hmm. which he's just, is he's just asking the question. I'm not saying that Jason Kenney uh, rubs himself with jello every night before getting into bed. I'm just asking, is he? I don't know. I mean, this is like, it's a joke. Like, do I really have to keep, like, do we really have to dig into this? Yeah. So, okay, here's the thing. Is Russian interest, would Russians love the Kindermargen pipeline to be stopped? Probably. Absolutely. I think the idea that they have uh, the fourth largest oil reserves in the world and would probably, uh, in they think, they think that would benefit them. Probably. Have they tried and possibly successfully? Possibly. I don't, I don't have no idea to know it. They certainly didn't give us any money. <clears throat> uh, but is that impossible? No. Um, the point here is that, A, uh, it's completely hypocritical because most of the oil sands, a significant portion of the oil sands are owned by foreign governments. Right. Hello, China, <laughs> who owns most of the oil sands or most of the companies who, who own the uh, tar sands. I don't know if it's still the case, so I should asterisk that. Right. But it, it, in the last few years, enough that At we covered point, the story sense. and I remember covering the story that the Chinese government, Chinese government controlled like state run Chinese oil companies owned 51 percent of the oil sands. So, ooh, foreign influence. Let let they not get involved in Canadian politics or, you know, have a vested interest in pipelines. Never mind the fact that Kinder Morgan is a Texas company. Never mind the fact that these organizations have been around making this argument forever and that they've never changed their opinion. They've always been opposed to this stuff. So I'm not sure where the manipulation comes from. Now, if you want to say, hey, I'm just against anybody outside Canada affecting in any way Canada's politics. First of all, you're being naive. We're in the technological age. That's not possible. But even if we say, okay, never mind that. Great. I'm with you. 
China has to pull out of that. I guess that means you have to pull all foreign investment out of the country too, because that's a form of thing. If you say, well, they, but they gave green, no, I'm not alleging they did. I'm just saying as right. an example, and there's no evidence to this, just saying as an example, oh, Russia gave uh, Greenpeace a million dollars. They certainly didn't give them $40 million because their total budget is like $6 million. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, let's say they gave them a million bucks. Okay. Um, what happened to the millions and millions and millions of dollars of investment that China has in there and now has a vested interest in making money off of? Um, is that not also political interest? So if you say, well, we should just have all foreign influence out of Canada, I agree, we should. Is that possible? I'm not sure that it is. Um, should we try and prevent it? Absolutely. My point here, though, is that this is obviously hypocritical. There could not be more foreign interest well, in that, A. And B, my final point, and Stephanie, I'm going to let you jump in. This is the last thing I want to get in here, is that this is also assuming, so we have, uh, and you reminded me who he was, this person here. There's a tweet. Brett Williamson was from uh, He's on Shark Den. Tank. Shark Tank or whatever, one of those shows. Tweets out, and excuse me, I have to quote here for a second. Uh, actually, I'm not even allowed to say that. I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that. Uh, bees, slimy bees, hang them for treason. Nice. The, so <laughs> the point here is that there's like, well, uh, Russia would love Canada's oil industry to go down because they have a lot of oil. Okay. Um, I, another so solution to climate change is if we are one, another way to, uh, uh, to, re, uh, to rebuff Russia's power is rapidly decarbonize the world so the oil is useless. <laughs> Just say Stephen, well, go ahead. So there's, I did a, I did a minimum of a monochrom of, of research, and I, I have very bad news for Jason Kenney. Uh, it does seem like their Russian interests and business interests have a distinct interest in the that the pipeline for the Transman pipeline pipeline goes through. Uh, there's a company called uh, Evres PLC. Which is uh, which has a distinct financial interest in ensuring in in in, in, in very much ensuring that uh, that this goes one or the other. Uh, they happen to be Russia's number two steelmaker, and they happen to be providing about seventy five percent of the steel needed to make the Trans Mountain Pipeline extension. Whoops. So I don't know. Maybe. I'm just asking questions. Right. But, is Jason but, Kenney a tool of the Russian government who is actually trying to pull a reverse gotcha? Exactly. I'm just asking uh, the question. We're just asking the question. I don't know what's going on. You know, if, if 250,000... Well, himself with jello every night before bed? I'm just asking. <laughs> I don't know. If 250,000 metric tons of pipeline, of pipe, have to be, are going to be sourced from Russia's number two steelmaker for this pipeline, you have to wonder where their interests might lie. Right. Um, and so, first of all, like this is this is uh, again the point out just the absolute silliness of all of this, which is that business interests exist in all directions, and if you want to talk about whether or not organizations have specific interests, like you can't, Jason Kenney cannot come out and say the very small budget environment groups are funded to this, but you know, Kinder Morgan, which is literally buying Russian steel to build this thing, couldn't possibly be in any way influenced. That's just not possible. Because right. businesses are uncorruptible, whereas activist groups are inherently corrupt. This Absolutely. is how this works. Right, this well, is how because follow works. the lack of money, Stephanie. Exactly. You know the same. Exactly. Um, and so if I can briefly jump <laughs> off that um, just to because in that same CBC article there's a there's a bit about um, 
is a, is a bit about uh, this sort of thing called, I think it's called Fair Canada. Um, or or fair questions, I think is what it's called. Right. Yeah, fair questions. That's uh, uh, I'm I'm sure you are your your the hair on your arm if you have it is already standing on end. With oh yeah, your Orwellian. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, Orwellian yeah. name. The word fair already is like it's it's same like the word like taxpayers. It has as the soon word as taxpayer, it, fair or family in it. <laughs> yeah, probably up to no good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, 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 the fair taxpayers association of families is definitely <laughs> out to like do some terrible things. Right. Um, but so they so this is a, a woman who's like been investigating quote unquote investigating where all the money comes from in these in these activist organizations. And of course, has decided that a bunch of foreign money is coming to fight Kinder Morgan. And then, so recently, she sent out this thing, which was like the "See how 350 spent its 10 million dollar budget," and it's like 2.5 million dollars for salaries, 1 million for dollars for events, and acting as if it's, like, it's this ma- like and this is what the Kinder Morgan pipeline is up against. It's like, oh, so the 10 million dollar United States organization is up against that funds that's their entire that's their entire budget (laughs) is up against kinder morgan which has a 4.5 billion dollar cash flow and it's backed by the canadian government with a gdp of over 1.7 trillion dollars so the entire organization with thousands of with thousands of volunteers and employees and people who you know scraping their pennies together which uh, i don't i don't have uh uh, kinder morgan's uh, canadian ceo i can't remember his name because he's not important uh, the CEO, but I guarantee you his paycheck is up near the halfway mark on their entire organization's oh, entire budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's like so. Let's 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 quickly ask a fair question, right? And do some and do some very quick math, um, which is that current the so what the Kinder Morgan pipeline is up against is an organization whose entire budget is. Uh, so reverse that. Uh, Kinder Morgan has four thousand five hundred and seventy times the ca- budget. Uh, just their cash flow. Cash flow is not assets. Even right. this is just their cash flow. Cash on hand. Um, uh, is just over four thousand five hundred and seventy times more than the very scary environment group that has two point five million dollars in salaries, which is what like. If you do the math, like eighty to a hundred staff, like this is like this is not, like this is and this is and I just I'm consistently if I think the theme of this show for me is bafflement, right? Um, and I am consistently baffled at the con- attempts of, of 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 these sort of thinkers to position uh, these massive companies as the underdogs in these fights. Right. He's like, you you can't make ten million dollars scary in this situation. Like, right. yeah, ten million dollars feels like a lot of money, but not when it comes up to the these these other numbers. Like, the Canadian government has committed itself, its entire power, to get this thing built, and its GDP is one point four trillion dollars. Right. right. Like, this is this is not a real fight. We we have five minutes, and I want to make sure I mention the last story because it's a, it's like an uplifter. It's a bit of an uplifter. Um, but yeah, so just to be clear about my sarcasm on that, am I a fan of Russian money coming in and on any side of any debate in Canada? Absolutely not. My point is, is that if you're going to do an analysis like that, you would better make sure that if you want people to to take you seriously, that you do the exact same audit of the oil companies and you do the exact same audit of all the politicians involved as well. And let's have a level playing field and then let's actually see where everyone's money is coming from. And I think that Greenpeace would be absolutely happy to open their books if you do the same for you, uh, if you guys were willing to do the same. By the way, Jason Kemi comes to politics from the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. <laughs> oh, man. Fair well, taxes. at least it's not the it's at least it's not the fair taxpayer family federation because then we'd have been concerned. Um, okay, so moving on. Uh, so your question for the evening is: Where it is Jason Kenny's money coming from? Where is Tinker Morton is coming from? And does or does not uh, Jason Kenny uh, rub himself with Jello every night before bed? We're just asking. 
Uh, so Anthropocene, this is a this is a really good story. I'm glad we got to end on this because you know as much as I like being salty, I don't like ending on a salty note. We've just got four minutes. So um, a lot of, as I was explaining in the beginning, a lot of the uh, IPCC reports are based around the idea of creating these models, and part of that is obviously for because that's very important for analyzing, but also because it's very important for communicating. So you know if we do this, what will happen? If we do this, what will happen? And so these are the various, you know, uh, I forget what the word for it, Stefan. Perhaps you have it on the hand, but the, what they call those the four different things. It's the four different like possible futures or there's a specific term for it anyway uh, but it's like the, they have various models based on right. if we take no action if we take some action you know if we take steep action but it's it's never before been mapped what actual sets of you know what what happens in the world to create those outcomes and i think this is very very interesting because this allows us to sort of map one to one as things happen in real time having this type of information about well these types of actions could lead to this sort of thing in the future which could end up with this model means that we can more directly not perfectly these are again still models uh, but it allows us to map like oh these sorts of decisions now are happening next year in canada what pathway is this putting us on it makes that sort of connection between the models which are very not hypothetical in the sense that they're unreliable but hypothetical in the sense that they didn't before have a match to actually what was going on in the world to actually actually allow us to do that storyline as, as they're being called uh, which will allow us to more sort of as uh, I think as an interested people and as policymakers to uh, not us but for policymakers um, to more sort of understand about what pathway are you putting us on when you do X, Y, and Z. Um, so I'm actually hoping that we're going to get an interview uh, with this coming up uh, so it's kind of okay that we don't have a ton of time. Uh, it's in anthropocenemagazine.org. I'll put the link up as usual uh, and it's called the Five Shared Socioeconomic Pathways or SSPs and it helps really explain um, this narrative uh, and it's based on a new study that was just published and there's going to be more work coming about this but it is tacking um, actual social change and policy change to the Paris climate agreement and the models about how to get to one uh, climate we've got about a minute left Stefan uh, I sort of did some very quick back of map back of napkin math uh, just because I and this is this is a again back of napkin math but in case you were wondering the steel alone that is being purchased by from from a, from a quote unquote, from a Russian company for the Kinderberg pipeline is a hundred million dollars. <laughs> the, the the budget of that we're very scared of the terrifying three fifty org is ten million dollars. Right. I'm leaving it on that. Right. I'm I'm gonna go right now and make a huge investment in Jello. <laughs> uh, that's it for the Green Majority. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's show. Check out GreenMajority.ca for the podcast version. In case you missed something because we were talking crazy fast, you can go listen to it on your own time there, as well as links to all the stories and uh, to the uh, Drawdown Toronto plan as well uh, from our interview. All that and more at GreenMajority.ca. Other than that, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you. Uh, uh, see you. <laughs> we hope you hear from us next week. Take care. <laughs>